Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Audible is presented by Trader Joe's. Discover more about Trader Joe's by listening to their podcast, Inside Trader Joe's, available wherever you get your podcasts. And by the way, the next time you're in Trader Joe's, make sure to pick up a box of their pita crackers. You won't regret it. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. And Bruce, this is a first for me, uh, maybe maybe for this podcast, I don't know, but it's a college football podcast and I find as we uh, as we get on the, the recording today that the most I just want to talk about the NFL playoffs. Yeah, it was four great games, all came down to the last play. Uh, it was great drama all the way around. Look, I know that you come in and out of your NFL fandom. Um, well, welcome to the club because it more than lived up to the hype. And, you know, it's funny is usually when you get on the big stage, like college football, I feel like seldom comes through on the last, you know, in the playoff. The playoff semifinals usually stink. They're blowouts. They're under, you know, like this, you know, it was great drama, great plays. I mean... It was just an awesome weekend for football. All four games decided on the last play. That's insane. And I was trying to think through my head how many college playoff games, like how many have we even had, period. Certainly the second and 26 game was one. Um, the Georgia-Oklahoma game went to double overtime. Um, not many. I mean, Hunter, Hunter Renfro's catch almost was. It was like one second left. Uh, but yeah, I mean... I'm jealous. I'm watching these things. I'm like jealous. Like, why can't we have these nice things here in college? And I saw some, I think Paul Feinbaum show tweeted out, you know, does this, did that weekend give you more confidence that an expanded playoff is right for college football? Um, I don't know that expanding it is going to guarantee you better games by any means. Um, part of the reason the NFL can, can be so competitive like that is that the best teams aren't that different from each other. Um, there's not some huge gap between the Chiefs, obviously, between the Chiefs and the Bills or the Chiefs and whoever. Um, there is right now between Alabama and, and most of college football. And So in, a, in an 18 playoff, probably still going to have some blowouts, but I would think you'd have some good games. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, a couple things jumped out at me if you want to make this parallel or comparison. First... Uh, you know, you kind of cringe when, when kickers in college are trying to, to make a long kick. In the NFL, you're like, not only are they making it, like I was shocked Matt Gay like came just short and it wasn't even that long and he's got a huge leg. But short of that, it was like these guys are all, you know, Robbie Gold is, Robbie Gold is like, is 20 of 20 in the play. It's ridiculous how good he is. And Ev well, Evan McPherson was a kick college kicker just last year. Yeah. No, look, and, he had and the, here he is in the, he had a game that yeah. was interesting. And in that, like you remember that LSU game where Cade York hits it 
58-yard game winner in in the in the fog. And then McPherson actually had a shot. I don't know if it was like 56. It was a long kick, and he actually didn't make it. But that's about the only thing he hasn't. You see Carlson um, for the Raiders is like, obviously people remember him and his brother was so good at, at Auburn, and he has been really good for the Raiders. But it's just like between that. But then also, you know, the overtime rules, people are like talking about that because Josh Allen was phenomenal yesterday but he didn't get a chance pat mahomes ended up winning the game they scored a touchdown and that was that you know as opposed to like you know everyone talks about how quirky the overtime rules are in college football and the nfl they're weird too i would just assume just let them you know it's the nfl let if the game goes into triple overtime so be it but obviously they don't want that well i remember when it happened to Mahomes in reverse in, when they played the Patriots a few years ago in the conference championship. And the game was decided, and Pat Mahomes never got to go back on the field. And I remember thinking how ridiculous that was. And at that time, I felt very strongly that college's overtime format was better. But now college has gone and bungled there. <laughs> and they've taken a lot of the things that made it so exciting and, and turned it into a two-point derby. So I don't, nobody, nobody in football can seem to figure out the best way to resolve a tie game. Um, the most exhilarating moment of the playoff weekend for you was what? Give me one. Thing. Well, selfishly or, or whatever you want to say, uh, definitely the Bengals ending. Although I got to say that the Chiefs Bills last two minutes was just the Tyreek Hill, the Tyreek Hill catch and run where it looks like he shot out of a cannon and um, was, you know, it's just insane. The last, you know, like the last, I don't know. 30 minutes of real-time action, you know, between from the two-minute warning and then 13 seconds left. I actually wondered, too, why do you not squib it and make them field it? You're letting Pat Mahomes have at least two plays. Like, to me, that was like, and all you needed was a field goal. I That part, I get it. If you squib it and they kind of get it and maybe can run up to the 40 or the 45, maybe he gets one play to do it. But I don't know. You know, that's, that's unfortunate because obviously um, – you know, I think Sean McDermott's done an amazing job with the Bills, but that's a tough way to lose. I watched Van Pelt's show after, and he spent about the first 10 minutes doing just the highlights from that game, like all all the highlights. And everything happened so quickly that it was easy to forget. And I'm how, you know, they ended up scoring, what, 25 points in the last two minutes? And and I had forgotten that it almost, almost maybe none of that would have happened. It was still 26-21, it was fourth and thirteen when Josh Allen threw that touchdown. You know where he's scrambling right, buying time, throws to the back of the end zone, and that just and, that, and all that and that did was started the sequence of back and forth. But fourth and thirteen, you know, you're thinking they're going to be fortunate to get a first down, much less throw a touchdown on that play. By the way, Josh Allen, I have never been more wrong on an NFL prospect than I was on Josh Allen, who I was genuinely befuddled why he was being talked about in that regard. He His college stats were as mediocre as they get against mediocre competition for the most part. The one time he played like a big-name Power 5 school in Nebraska, he was bad. Um, yes, to that end, I agree. There was a yes. night where after it was the, the last weekend game, so I was like, I DM'd Mark Banker. He was the defensive coordinator at Nebraska where they picked him off five times right and that was the thing and so um yeah this was his response uh they had one guy had two kieran williams had a had a pick six 
And he kind of explained what basically they thought they had to do against him. You know, he was like, you know, back then he thought he tried to do too much and make too much happen. Maybe that was some of that was because now he did have a bunch of guys who actually played in the NFL on the in this in his junior year or the year before he left. But he was like, yeah, you just needed to bring inside pressure while not letting him get outside the pocket. If we brought outside pressure, it was to, always to his blind side. That that was always to push him away from his throwing arm challenges to make sure. We'd stop the running game as we went after him. Well, easier said than done because nobody seems to have many answers for Josh Allen right now. That's one of the things that amazes me about football coaches. You just hit him up out of the blue, and he can remember in that much detail the game plan from a game they what was that five years ago. But it's yeah, but like like think about it. It was like you just basically game planned against one of the probably three best NFL quarterbacks and you But you didn't know that at the time. No, but you you know it going in. These guys have binders of every every year's game plan and everything that they always refer back to. I don't think most people realize how deep in the weeds uh, NFL sure. or college co- coaches in general get for game planning and what they do on the brainstorming and I'm sure you know like these guys and it probably if you ask some of the some of the players they could probably walk you through a lot of moments of of that game because it's again the fact that you picked off Josh Allen five times takes on a much different meaning since Josh Allen has turned out to be an NFL star as opposed to him turning out to be Christian Ponder or something yeah I mean when I've done retro retrospective story like when I did a story last summer about the 2001 Ohio State Michigan game the Ohio State coaches and players remembered so many exact details, but that was a huge win for them. This was a week two game in 2016 that Nebraska won 52 to 17, and yet he's reciting to you exactly what their plan was. And they play, you know, 12, 13 of these games a year. Anyway, um, let's talk about the Bengals. And uh, you've become a fan, and I've hopped back on the bandwagon. When I say hop back on the bandwagon, I was off that bandwagon. For about thirty years, so it's not it's not it's not even a fair. Somebody uh, in our Slack channel referred to me as a Bengals fan. I think it'd be insulting to Bengals fans to have you on the bandwagon to, right to, now to group me to group me in there because I didn't live through all their pain and suffering. So, you know, I grew up in Cincinnati in the eighties. Boomer Esiason. Uh, it's funny the numbers are etched in my memory so that when T Higgins caught a pass, T Higgins is eighty five. I was like, oh, it's Tim McGee. Like, I can still remember the numbers remember, from when I was in the seventh grade. I remember Dan Ross was number 89. There you go. Uh, David Fulcher was 33. I think Eddie Brown was 81. Anyway, I was as big a Bengals fan as you get when I was 13 years old. And when they went to the Super Bowl and lost to the 49ers, I mean, it was a big, big, big deal. And I stayed a huge Bengals fan for the next few years. And then, I don't know, late high school, certainly by the time I got to college, I mean, they got bad pretty quick. Uh, and I, I just kind of lost interest and then, or I wasn't really keeping up with them. And then, and I've talked about this before, many others feel differently, but when you become a sports writer for, for a living, it's harder to just be an unadulterated fan. Once you, once you see how the sausage is made. When I was an intern at the Cincinnati Inquirer, I did some Reds and some Bengals stuff. And I was a huge Reds fan too growing up. And it was like, I never saw them the same way again. <laughs> they go from being guys on your TV screen or guys down on the field to real people who are doing a job uh, that they're paid very handsomely for. So, but like Pat Forty is a 
huge, huge diehard Broncos fan. Um, they're, they're Dennis Dodd, St. Louis Cardinals. I'm not saying this is the case for all of us. I just found it harder to like live and die by the results of a professional sports team. Um, and which makes it great, by the way, because watching that game the other day, it was like I didn't expect them to beat the Titans. So if they lost, I wasn't. It wasn't going to affect me either way. But when they won, it was really cool. By the way, in that stretch, 14 years without a winning season in the 90s and into into the early 2000s. 14 years is a long time to not have one winning season. And it wasn't just the losing, Bruce. You know, I got some people on Twitter being like, "Oh, you're you." You're such a fairweather fan. It was more. It, it was also. But it seems like you. Their owner. It seems like you are a fairweather fan because, you know, you just said you were as big a fan, and then all of a sudden you went away. So I'm not claim, but I'm not claiming to be. Um, I'm. I'm a fake Bengals fan. I'm. I, I'm. I enjoy seeing them do well because my my brother still lives there. He's a huge Bengals fan. Friends there who are huge Bengals. I'm happy. So for you're that. rooting for the Bengals to win the Super Bowl, though. Absolutely, and I think that if they are in, I think next week is the first week when they're playing for a spot in the Super Bowl will be the first week that I'm really like, I'll probably be like nervous, like it's 1988 all over again. But it's because of Joe Burrow. All those years when they had, first of all, Mike Brown, the owner, it, it always felt like he wasn't even trying to win. He was just trying to save money. So I always felt like you're kind of a sucker if you just kept having undying faith in a team whose owner wasn't trying to win. Um they had some good teams with Carson Palmer, with Andy Dalton and A.J. Green, and yet they never um, inspired confidence. You knew they would blow it, right? The Vontez perfect game being the, the perfect example of that. Ever since Joe Burrow got there, and certainly this year, it just feels like they'll get it done. Like, he's so confident. You throw Jamar Chase in there, too. He just completely transformed their identity. They're now a team that is is fun to watch and... You don't um, you don't think they're going to choke. And, and certainly, look, when it was 16-16 and the Titans had the ball, I didn't think they were going to win the game. Uh, but once they did get the ball back, I'm like, they're going to win the game. Burrow's going to get it done. And granted, I think you only had to complete one pass. But So you you are now a Bengals fan too, or a fake Bengals fan. I am, <laughs> yeah, I am just because, you know, I was around the LSU title team, and so I was around Burrow a bunch, and, I, you know, I liked Jamar Chase. I was just kind of – I think more, you know, just just very in awe of their ability more than anything else. Um, and I did like how Joe Burrow handled a lot of stuff. Like I had to, for the Ogeron book, I you know, he was very accessible. Uh, his family was very accessible. And I definitely appreciated that. And so I like seeing them do well. I mean, I thought I thought pretty highly of the family just from my experience with them. So, so um and I appreciated his story. I mean, remember, he was a guy who couldn't get on the field at Ohio State, right? And they, you know, he did a re- he did really well in the spring, and they still took Dwayne Haskins over him, and he ended up leaving. And I think a lot of people didn't think he was, certainly didn't see this coming. They thought he might have been fine and serviceable as a starter, but definitely not first pick of the draft, going to change um you know, lead arguably the the most prolific offense in the history of college football, and then go to the NFL and completely turn around a downtrodden kind of, you know, dreadful franchise. And he's done it in two years. You know, like that's the crazy thing. It's not like this has been a like long time. I mean, he got hurt last year and then bounced back and has been remarkable. You know, I think it's just. 
You know, it's not like he's got a good offensive line. We saw how many times he got sacked. You know, this is the guy who's like, send, you know, basically, let me let me operate. You, I'll be an empty, and I'll take my chances. And he takes a pounding, and I think, um, you know, it's just, like, I think right now, you know, you hear this sometimes with, like, NBA, how it's like, you know, this is, you have certain kind of stars, and it's a very star-driven market. But I think right now, you have, look what the playoffs have had. You have Joe Burrow, who's 25. You have Pat Mahomes, who's around the same age. You have Josh Allen, who's around the same age. Um, it's it's amazing. Yes, you have Tom Brady, who's 44 and kind of a wonder, you know, in what he's doing. But by and large, you have, you know, so many exciting young quarterbacks. We're not even talking about, like, Lamar with the Ravens. He got hurt this year. But, you know, there's there's just a lot to to get sucked in on. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I remember very vividly, there was uh, Kevin Clark, he was at the Wall Street Journal at the time, he's now at the Ringer, did a story, this would have been coming off the, going into the 2016 draft, coming off the 2015 season, talking to a bunch of GMs or scouts or whoever it was, and they were all complaining that there weren't any, that there weren't any quarterbacks coming, there weren't enough good quarterbacks coming out, that they, all these quarterbacks, there was particularly criticism of Art Bryles' offense, which was really hot at the time, these Oh, they were saying, like, they don't prepare them for the NFL. None of these quarterbacks are prepared for the NFL. And I remember thinking, well, you know, from our perspective in college, the quarterbacks are more talented than they've ever been, right? They're going to these year-round training and... They have seven the on seven in high, high school offenses. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're extremely efficient. So I would say if they're not... If you're, if you're looking at those guys and saying they're not prepared for the NFL, maybe that's on you. Because you're still trying to run the same offense as you've been running for 30 years. Uh, and you haven't embraced the wide open style that they play in college. Well, shortly after that, teams started spreading it out more. And I think that's allowed a quarterback like Pat Mahomes to thrive. Certainly a, a Lamar Jackson who never would have gotten a chance in the NFL uh, in a previous generation. Um, Burrow, obviously flourishing in an offense like that. There's not a lot of teams left in the NFL, frankly, that are your traditional run to set up the pass, um, West Coast offense, two receivers. Uh, hardly anybody's doing that anymore. And I don't think it's a coincidence that you're now seeing this kind of golden age, like you said, of all these, you know, it seems like all the, not all, a lot of these quarterbacks that are coming in are not just succeeding, but succeeding right away, uh, which tells you that 
they've made these these offenses more quarterback friendly. Yeah, also, I mean, we didn't even mention Justin Herbert, who came in to the Chargers mm-hmm. and lit it up. And obviously he has great physical tools and everything. But I think you have a lot of, you know, look, you have a lot of younger coaches. But even like, look, Bill Belichick, I think he doesn't get enough credit for how good he is offensively and what he was doing. Now, look, he didn't have a mobile quarterback before and briefly had Cam, but it's not like he has one now. But I think you're seeing you're seeing uh, – coaching staffs really realize the advantages they can have now college rules are a little different colleges college hash marks change things too but it's you know it has been fun to see um you know and i I don't think it's just like wild free will freewheeling like the old baylor washington bowl game you know whatever that was like 10 12 years ago like that but i do think you know you're just seeing a lot of playmakers in space and quarterbacks who can take advantage and you see some ridiculous throws that quarterbacks make so like you know it's just pat mahomes always has at least one of those underhand or side-armed yeah, josh allen throws, does, does uh, yeah. a bunch of that aaron Rodgers does a bunch of that i mean it's just it's just really really remarkable to see those guys at the highest level what they can do one college topic to hit real quick here um you know we we obviously had max on last week and we talked about the transfer portal a lot Transfer portal still humming. Um, we talked about some of the teams that have really done well with it, but USC, just since we last had that conversation, added Travis Dye, who was ultra productive, you know, about, yeah. yeah, extremely productive Oregon running back, who's now you know intra conference going to USC. Shane Lee, linebacker from Alabama, who had a lot of success as a freshman two years ago, hasn't played as much since then, um, but I guess the hope is that he can be very helpful there, and then. We're still waiting on Caleb Williams. I think we both, if you're doing a 24-7 crystal ball, you'd still say we think he's going there. But I'm curious, you know, you know that personnel really well at USC that he was inheriting that was just, they weren't good. There's no other way around it. I don't care what the recruiting rankings say. They were a 4-8 team last year. They got blown out almost in almost every one of those losses. What's what's their potential now when you think about the pieces that are coming in for 2022? Well, let's say Caleb Williams, we're assuming, is going to you know, make some kind of grandiose announcement in some way or another and that he's going to end up at USC. Then you're talking about a headline guy who we think can be an All-American quarterback um, and a Heisman contender. I don't know if the – Travis Dye is really good, right? He was really productive. I think Moorhead did a good job. You know, we're talking about a 1,200-yard back who also caught almost 50 passes last yeah, year. Yeah, he's really versatile. You know, so I think he will be a good piece for them. I mean, look, they lost. USC didn't have a lot last year. They lost one great player, Drake London. I do not think, you know, I don't. they don't have, they will, they've taken in a bunch of transfer receivers just like they did a year ago, quite honestly. Um, I don't think they have the personnel to be, even if Caleb goes there, um, I don't think they're close to being a legit playoff contender. Now, I think they can be a top 10 kind of team if the quarterback is that good. But, and you're talking about a, you know, a terrific running back who's going in there, but I still think, you know, defensively, they don't, you know, they don't have enough guys right now. They're not, they're not very good on defense at all. Um, I would suspect... Alex Grinch has a bigger rebuilding project now than he did even when he got to Norman. Yeah, most of these big transfer portal guys for USC have been on offense, though. Makai Blackman uh, is a pretty good cornerback from Colorado who's coming in. Um, Latrell McCutcheon, also a cornerback from Oklahoma. 
you said not a playoff doesn't even I wouldn't even go there. But you said they could be a top ten team. That would be that would be a lot better than four and eight. I mean, that would be that would make I them, frankly I don't, this year's Michigan State. Yeah, I don't think they will get to that point. But I think if the quarterback is that good, and look, you know, you were like Lincoln Riley is jumping through some hoops to to try to make sure he can get him. If that's the case, then you're talking about. Um, you know, look, Sam Darnold was a game changer for them for, as a program, I thought. And I, I don't think they have as good a talent on defense as that team did. But, you know, you're looking at them saying, all right, they should be 9-3, and three, maybe. They could be 9-3. and three. It's not like quarterback was their problem because they're, they've got two guys transferring out, Jackson Dart and Keaton Slovis. Keaton Slovis is already a pit. Jackson Dart is highly sought after. So, but they were again. Uh, you're talking quarterback about, wasn't the problem. Yeah, but you had a, um, Slovis was injured. You had banged up a lot last year, and you had the other guy who was a true freshman, right? And then also by the you know the one weapon they had got hurt and was lost for the last month of the season. So I think you know you also had a lame duck head coach. I just think there was so much stuff that was working against them. Um, again, I don't think. I don't know. I think they're probably a more of a nine and three kind of team, maybe eight and four kind of team. I think we could say that about a lot of the Pac-12. I think you know uh, Caleb Williams or not, Utah, I will still consider to be the team to beat in the Pac-12. But after that, I mean, Oregon's losing both Travis Dye and C.J. Burdell. Uh, new coaching staff I, entirely. New coaching staff, no Kayvon Thibodeau. I, I'm not saying they're going to fall apart. But I, I don't know that it's necessarily a given that they're the next best team. So USC does have a chance to, to be a factor. I also think when you look at USC's schedule, I'm going to read it off quick. Rice, not good. Stanford up by you, they're not very good. Fresno's pretty good, but they're still, they should beat them. At Oregon State, ASU is there. Washington State is there. At Utah, that'll be tough. Arizona is on the road. We think they'll be improved, but that's still a ways up for them. Cal is home. Colorado is home. They uh, they go to UCLA, and then they finish at home with Notre Dame. There's maybe like three teams on that list where I think they should be, you know, it's like at Utah, at UCLA, and Notre Dame. The rest of those teams, I don't think, are even close to like, you know, I don't know. Maybe maybe ASU will, will be competitive again, but it's just like I don't look at that. That's not a murderer's row there. Definitely not. Although pretty much any Pac-12 schedule right now, I mean, it's we're gonna have to wait and see how this. You know, they brought in a whole bunch of new coaches. How that next week? You know, how they um, turn around their various programs. Like I don't have any sense of what Washington's ceiling is the first year with Kalen DeBoer. They were so bad last year, and it was hard to say how much of that was talent and how much of that was some just bad staff hires and staff management by Jimmy Lake. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Should we answer some emails? All right. As always, send your questions to the audiblepod at gmail.com. I do not have any of the emails, by the way. I know. You're going to be on the spot. Um, you've done a lot of reporting about Jim Harbaugh recently and possibility of going to the Raiders if that job becomes available. James in Seoul, Korea says, hey, guys, some of the message board rumor talk has claimed that Harbaugh is using the NFL as leverage to get Michigan more serious about an NIL program to compete for better recruits. Since Bruce talked to a bunch of people around Harbaugh, curious if he's heard anything about that. I don't think he is using Michigan for leverage on that. I could be wrong, but that is not, I just don't think that's the case. As I think I've told you this offline, but like, you know, when I initially reported that there was interest in, um, in him possibly going to, the, going to the NFL and then talked to several people inside the program who thought that if he got offered the Raiders job that he would take it. Um, people think, oh, that's coming from an agent or whatever. It's like, this is not like, you know, people think, oh, Jimmy Sexton's working behind the scenes or this guy's doing, you know, like Jim Harb is not an agent guy like that. I don't think that's the case. So, you know, we'll see how this plays out, but it's, you know, look, if you look at it, Michigan's not one of those schools that, by the way, is very involved in the portal either. You know, they're kind of operating in a different orbit than a lot of these other schools right now. Yeah. Jim Harbaugh doesn't need leverage. His leverage is that he just beat Ohio State and won the Big Ten title. Um, clearly, they they're going to want to do whatever they can to keep him. So I, I agree with that assessment. I don't know well enough to know. You know, is Michigan behind the curve on NIL? Um, are they? You know, it just seems like to to compete nationally in recruiting, you're going to need to have. And you can't really do it. You need boosters to do it, but you got to have some sort of organized effort around NIL. And, you know, Ohio State does. Certainly a lot of these SEC schools do. If Michigan doesn't have it going now, they're going to need to get it soon. Paradigm is shifting on that in a profound way. That's all I'll say. I understand there's going to be a lot of, lot of change coming. And I think even the schools that have something lined up, I think they're going to have to be reacting more as things start to keep uh, shifting and evolving on that front. Patrick Bacher sa- says, greetings from Amon Jordan. I wonder what time zone that is that he's listening to this in. 
Um, great pod as always. Talk me being his subject line is Texas. It's a, by Empire. the way, wait, excuse me. If I'm, I, I could be wrong on this, but it's a podcast. He's listening to it whenever he wants to listen <laughs> to it. Don't don't outthink yourself. Good point. Good point. I wonder what times when he's watching college football games. Better question. Um, talk me into being okay with Texas A and M hiring DJ Durkin and Steve Adazio. They've got some real baggage. That is true. Uh, probably more so DJ Durkin, but I feel like once Ole Miss hired DJ Durkin, that made it okay for everybody after that. Like if this was going to be, if there was going to be a moment of this guy who got fired from Maryland over allegations of, of player mistreatment and certainly a player died under his watch, that once he got hired by an SEC school, then every other, that made it okay for every other SEC school to hire him. Right, and in the case of Steve Adazio, for his kind of head-scratching of some of the moves he made, especially in-game, uh, he knows him. He's a longtime offensive line coach. He's developed a lot of good offensive linemen. I'm not entirely shocked. You know, these guys have the same agent. I'm not surprised that he uh, Jimbo Fisher ended up taking him on. Um, so, you know, the only thing that's tricky with that is when you get a guy who's been a head coach for a decade-plus you know, how does he fit in in terms of, like, basically now all of a sudden he's not running the show? Are they comfortable? I mean, Adazio is now, I think, in his mid-60s, so I wouldn't think he would be, you know, have an ego to the sense where I'm going to, you know, be behind the scenes of, a, a, you know, a nuisance for Jim for Jimbo. I mean, Jimbo has a pretty strong command of there. There's a lot of strong, you know, strong, strong-willed guys who I think work for him already. But again, you know, those guys are both former head coaches. Um, it's always interesting when a head coach adds former head coaches to a staff to see how that how they fit in. His offensive coordinator is a, is a former head coach. Um, that is true. I forgot about that. Yeah, Daryl Dickey. Well, I was a little surprised Adazio wanted to take a job like that for everything you just said. I mean, he was head coach at three different schools since 2011. He has not been an offense. He was an offense. He he was an offensive line coach for a long time as he was coming up, but he hasn't been just the offensive line coach at a school since Florida in 2008. But but if you're so, him, like I think you have to realize after how badly it went, it's to get fired after two years. You know, like that is you probably did some you know did some wrong stuff there. I'm not saying you did some illegal stuff. I'm just saying like things did not go well. And I think his reputation, I think after, you know, he got shoehorned into that job and the coaching search, I don't think, you know, there's going to be other schools short of like an FCS program who are going to be lining up to try to bring on a guy, bring right. him on at this stage of his career as a head coach. It just seems like the more common, uh, well, look at Gary Patterson. Um, he's not going to, he's not going back to being a on-field secondary coach. He's going to be Sar- Steve Sarkeesian's behind the scenes guy, you know, I, I, I don't want to say it's a cushy job, but it's more of a sitting in an office watching film job than being out in the heat of practice. Oh, he'll be out in teaching, the, uh, he'll be out, he'll be out in the heat of practice observing and, and probably giving feedback. I, I would, the Longhorn network, I would, I would tune into this show if it was like, if they had Gary Patterson's conversations and Gary Patterson's um, offerings to the staff to see that i think that will be a very interesting uh tv series i would watch a, a, a i would watch a texas practice just to see if he can keep himself from 
getting out there and yelling at guys because technically he's not allowed to, to, to coach. Um, but yeah, I mean, that has become an increasingly like Butch Jones got fired from Tennessee and went and, and became an analyst for Saban. That's a lot more, uh, you're, you're just seeing a lot more of that than guys like sucking it up and going back to being a position coach. But I think it's much different when you're talking about Gary Patterson, who is, if you ask me, who's the most hands-on coach in college football, you know, like I would have said it's him. I've seen him run practice. I've seen how involved he is in his defense. Um, it's not to say like obviously Leach is very involved in his offense, and there is a you know Lincoln Riley is, and there's a handful of other guys who are that way, but don't have, quite have the presence Gary Patterson had running a practice and, and being involved in practice. So uh, interesting times in in uh, Austin right now. By the way, just this happened while we were recording. But speaking of former head coaches doing behind the scenes. So uh, Herm Edwards at Arizona State, he already had Marvin Lewis uh, on his, he at one point was the DC or maybe the DC in name only. Now he's back to being sort of an analyst. And now he's added Brian Billick. How about that? Brian Billick is go- is going to Arizona State to join the other. Uh, so they now have three former NFL head coaches on their staff. You know, what's interesting to me about that, and it just dawned on me, was uh, I'm not surprised Brian Billick, some, somebody tapped into Brian Billick as a coach, but it's actually the other coach in the state of Arizona I would have expected. Like he, Jed Fish is a Brian Billick protege. It's interesting. Brian Billick hmm. is going to the other school in the state of Arizona. What is uh, Brian? Yeah, he's he's has he been on NFL Network this whole time? He's been there for a long time. I have not seen, like I watch a lot of NFL Network. I don't feel like I've, I feel like Brian Billick and Brian Baldinger are on quite a bit when I would watch it, but I haven't seen those guys. Like I've seen Bill Baldinger more, but I haven't seen Billick on in a while. Interesting career turn there. Uh, last question is about the mighty Wake Forest Demon Deacons from Drew in Charlotte. Um, he's asking, with the Demon Deacons coming off an 11-win season and Atlantic Division title, what do you make of their odds to get back to Charlotte and next season? Would you agree it's fair to say... 2022 Wake Forest is one of the two most likely CFP candidates from the ACC with Hartman and Perry both returning. And how does Wake continue to build off this momentum beyond in 2022 and beyond? Stu, I don't know. I don't know if I remember your rankings, but don't you have Wake Forest in the top 12? Somewhere around there, but but you know they do. They have what one thing I learned in doing that research. You don't even remember where you have them. You were like somewhere around there. They were in like the 12 okay, to 15 okay. range, I think. Um, the thing about Wake is, and this is, I hate doing this. I hate seeming like I'm crapping on somebody's great season. But uh, the the power ratings and whatnot suggest they were not quite as good as the can we, final can we not indicate. You just crapped on them. Who cares about the power ratings? They had, a, had, a, had an amazing They had a great season. season. Yeah, let's not bring, can we, let's jump. But those things like SP Plus are, oh, are good at predicting at predicting god bill Connolly's never going to come on this podcast because you're always i like crapping all I just over saw him in san antonio but you like you basically what here's what you did poor dave clausen had a great year and you just took bill Connolly's hand and poked him in the eye i'm just suggesting that you know even though they have sam hartman coming back even though they have at perry coming back it's not necessarily a given that they're going to go 11 and 3 again i had them 15th um Here's what I learned about the the ACC, which has been really bad, and which we all, you know, crapped on. Actually, could be really good next year because, unlike a lot of conferences, 
most of their top teams have their guys coming back. Uh, NC State, we've talked about them on here before. I think Devin Leary could be one of the, uh, he had a great year this year, and he could be considered one of the best quarterbacks in the country next year. Um, they've got four all ACC players coming back on defense. Clemson is obviously still what we think. Still Clemson, still going to be in the mix. Pitt lost and Pitt, Pitt yes, lost its starting quarterback. Who, Pitt lost its starting quarterback, but replaced him with a pretty decent transfer. Sam Howell, and then it's gone. like the whole rest of Pitt's team is coming back, including the Bolitnikoff winner, Jordan Addison. So when he says, "Are they one of the two most likely?" I'd say they're one of the four most likely. Okay. Uh, what What about you? I will say. I will say yes, they're one of the two most likely. Who's the other one? Uh, Clemson. Okay, so you, so basically you're saying Clemson. So you so then if that's the case, then you're when it comes time to do your preseason ACC predictions, you're going to go in that division: Clemson one, Wake two, NC State three. Uh, yeah, I'm big on NC State just because of the, talking to a lot of the people around the bowl. You know that we had them again that didn't mm-hmm. happen. Um, yeah, they lost their best offensive player in Icky, but they have they have what should be the best linebacker group in the country. They have two guys who missed almost the whole season on top of an All-American there. So I, I think they'll be good, as you mentioned, Devin Leary. To me, it would come down to NC State and Wake. Um, I would lean to Wake just because they have so much experience. And whereas NC State has to replace two good running backs, a good receiver, and a great offensive lineman, um, I would lean to Wake at this point. This may be the first time ever that I'm higher on NC State than you, because I've always been very skeptical of them. But they had a good season last year. And the difference between Wake and NC State is that Wake was fantastic on offense, and I'm sure will be as good, if not better, next year. But they were really bad on defense. And they're going to have to get that fixed. You can't necessarily expect to win a shootout every week. But all in all, you talk about, you know, at some point we'll do our top 25 coaches list. Dave Clawson is so underappreciated. This was his, you know, best season so far um, at Wake by a considerable number, right? But since 2016, seven and six, eight and five, seven and six, eight and five, four and five in the COVID season, and then eleven and three. And he has won. He has gone to. He's gone to six straight bowl games, and he's won four of those. So. Um, He's doing a great job there. So to his question about momentum, um, I mean, they're not—they're here to stay, right? As long as he's there, I have a lot of confidence in Wake Forest. Same. Uh, by the way, I started messing around with the top tw- that tw- top coach's top twenty-five list already. Ooh, yeah. intriguing! Intriguing. Yes. Start. There's been so much change in the coaching ranks. It's going to be. Uh... Yes, I know. There's like three of the guys that I think we each had in our top twenty are no longer coaching right now. Also, I remember I want to say a year or two ago, there was a reader slash listener who was just killing us. He's a Georgia fan over Lincoln Riley over Kirby. Smart. Well, he's going to be happy with Thought us. it was the biggest. Yeah, I think he's going to be happy this I year. I have Kirby um, number three right now, so. From 10. Kirby, Kirby went from 10 to 3, huh? Yeah. Well, he did just win the national title, so I You know who will be that. a t- – there will be two names that are going to be very tough here, and they're both guys you have, have big connections to. One, I have I had Pat Fitz at eleven, and they're coming off. They've now last seen, year or, or your new one? No, no, no. Last year they're coming off their second three and nine season in the last, sandwiched around his best ever finish. Yeah. It's like they're really and then they, David Shaw was a couple of spots below him. 
And I don't, you know, it's like, it's another tough one because they've really kind of struggled. They, they kind of, they have struggled. Those are two guys who have had overall tremendous tenures at their schools. But as you know, when I do these rankings, I put more focus on how they did oh, recently. Fitz, you Fitz, tend to be more. Fitz is dropping like a stone. <laughs> Sorry, Fitz. You tend to be more. I mean, I think those guys will do pretty well with you because your criteria seems to be more like. A lifetime achievement. Oh, um, Dave wants that is going to be so pissed when he sees you plucked fits off the list entirely. I'm waiting to see where, you know, I'm kind of waiting on this Raiders Harbaugh news to, to know whether I'm going to have to revisit that yet again or not. Cause you didn't even have them on your list. Now you have to have them on your list. Now I have to have them. But, and the question is where, and I don't, I haven't spent a, a second looking at it yet. So you want him to take the Raiders job just because you another, don't want another, him on that list. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Another interesting wrinkle will be, I think I had Brian Kelly three last year, and I think I had him three for a couple years, and he had a perfectly good season, you know, 11-1 season. But I feel like ever since he left for LSU, like he's not, some people aren't looking at him that way anymore. And, and nothing's changed. Other, he's changed jobs, but he hasn't, he's still at the end of the day coming off an 11-1 season. So that'll be an interesting one as well. As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.